This is a place where together we can navigate through life's ups and downs with all of the vulnerability, compassion, and openness that we can muster, celebrating our bravery in all of it. Along with the help of guests from all walks of life, we'll discover new truths while doing some unlearning, and we'll gain valuable tools for becoming who we already are, while also uncovering our divine gifts. I'm Jade Bryce, and I'm so thankful that you're here. All right, you guys, so we are just about a month out from my women's programs first call from it beginning. And I am just so excited. Ah, just even the process of creating this women's program and typing out the modules was such a beautiful experience for me. I felt like I couldn't keep it in. And this has been my dream to facilitate something like this, where we can heal alongside each other and, and have this type of community with each other. And just to facilitate this type of healing where we're not only overcoming trauma, but like rewriting our narratives and choosing, choosing our own narrative and also developing the tools to hold our nervous system in safety whenever needed. And just working on, you know, developing worthiness and um, our deservingness of pleasure, all of it. And I'm just so excited every time I'm in my meditation practice and I'm really feeling into this program, I can already feel the women who are going to sign up and I cannot wait. I'm so, I, I know I've already said it like three times, but I'm so excited. You can find it at jade-brice.com. And you can also, if you want to listen to last week's episode, I go into detail about what we're going to be experiencing there. It's a really short episode and that can give you more information, but it is a three month program with uh, weekly calls, but you can also just listen to the recordings if you'd like. We'll also have community support through a thread on WhatsApp or Telegram. I'll check in with the group to see what they prefer. Originally, I had this set at a nine-month program, but the feedback that I was getting is that that was a really big commitment for a lot of women who they're signing up for their very first program. And so... I was thinking about it and I was like, you know, I don't know if I could sign up for a nine month program right now. And I only want to create something that like I would actually do myself. So I, I condensed it into a three month program, which also lowered the price tremendously. So it is $555 and it's a three month program, one call a week. And again, like I said, you can just listen to the recordings if that's better for you. There are payment plans available um, and scholarships, but I've also set up a promo code for 10% off, which is $55. And that promo code is untamed. So go check out j-price.com if you want more information on that. And on to our guest. Our guest today is a man who's helped thousands face their darkness, take back control and break free from self-sabotage and gain the clarity they've needed to awaken their hidden potential. He speaks from the heart, believing that people shift when they're presented with stories, not statistical data. He has shared the stage with the likes of Gary Vaynerchuk and Lewis Howes, delivered talks for Apple and TEDx. He has a no BS attitude coupled with compassionate understanding of our own human limitations. In 2014, he founded Man Talks, a community for men 
looking to expand and deepen their sense of self-awareness. Today, he has expanded Man Talks to over a dozen cities, has a top-ranked podcast, and his book, Men's Work, has just been released. Please help me welcome Connor Beaton to Untamed and Unashamed. Hi. Hey, how's it going? Good. I am... the last time I interviewed you, I believe it was right at two years ago, um, maybe yeah, right about a year and a half, two years ago. And it was the last podcast episode of that podcast, my previous podcast. And still out of, I mean, I, I had that show for three years and out of everyone, you and your wife were two of the most memorable guests that I had just because of your mm-hmm. level of presence and the level of... Um, self-awareness as well in your answers they like none of them felt regurgitated it was like it came from like an inner knowing from true practice in your own life and so I just remember that being so um unforgettable and then I couldn't have chosen a better guest to like in the show with as well so I'm so excited to have you back on and since then I believe since then you've become a father I don't think you were a father at the time I wasn't no Yeah. And I can't imagine what life would have been like to grow up with parents like you and Vienna. So I'm just so stoked for your child that gets to have that as a reality because I feel that's truly how we change the world. So I'm so excited for for y'all to be parents. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. It's been being a father so far has been phenomenal. And uh, I'm sure I'll get it wrong multiple times. You know, (laughs) I mean, still, you know, flawed human beings and still have our days and I still have my days and my wife still has her days. And, uh, but yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's been, it's been phenomenal so far and I love my little boy and he's such a blast and being a parent has certainly, I think, uh, changed my life in a lot of valuable ways that I think it does for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. So another baby that you've had since we last spoke on the podcast is your book as well. Mm -hmm. And I know you Mm -hmm. had some pushback on it, which is just crazy to me. But uh, you mentioned that, I guess you got turned down by some publishers because they didn't feel like men really read self-help books, which is just crazy because I feel like all the men I know just gobble gobble up books like yours. So um, I'd love for you to talk to us about your book that's coming out and a bit of that process and kind of how you um, push through. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. You know, I've been running my company now, Man Talks, for eight years. And at some point, I had a number of men that I've worked with in in different fields because I work with so many guys who are artists and athletes and entrepreneurs and, and you know, just, and just everyday guys um, who are looking to better themselves in some capacity, whether that's in their health, their finances, um, it, it really, my work is, is training for men who want more from themselves. And mm-hmm. so at some point I had, you know, a lot of guys saying you should put your teachings into a book form so I can, I can read a book. And I had yeah. a lot of women reaching out over the years through social media saying, what books do you recommend for men? And it was so interesting because there was a very short list, <laughs> you know, there were sort of some classic books that I recommended to guys and classic mm-hmm. books that I had been recommended. But outside of diving into really deep psychological literature, there wasn't really a book that I had found that it was written f- for men, from men, about men, and that was unapologetically male, and that was really designed to help 
uh, men who are wanting to do some inner work traverse that territory. And, mm-hmm. you know, I remember when I first um, started doing my work with my apprentice, like, you know, 10, 12 years ago in my apprenticeship with my mentor, <clears throat> there were certain books that I could read that were helpful, but I, you know, I think I really wanted to write the book for somebody like myself that was going through this work along the way. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> the process was interesting because, you know, I've built up this top rank podcast and social media platform. And so I have a, you know, somewhat of a reach and I started to get connected with publishing houses and I started having these conversations with publishing houses about my idea of writing this book. And the book that I wrote is called Men's Work. And the, the subtitle is just a practical guide to face your darkness and self-sabotage and find freedom. And so I'd had this idea of I want to write this book about men's work. Like how do we as men move through our own crap, our own self-sabotage, our own blocks and barriers? And how do we build a life that's meaningful to us? And how do we become men that we deeply respect? Because I had seen that so many men were struggling to be a man that they respected, to be a husband or a partner or a business owner or an entrepreneur or whatever it was. And so I wanted to write that book. And so I started having these conversations with some of the biggest publishing houses in North America. And I remember the the first one I got on the phone, had a conversation on there for like 30 minutes. And at the end of the conversation, the woman says, I love you. I love your work. I've been following it for a while. I love the idea, but men just don't buy books. And she said 70% of our sales within the personal development space, within the therapeutic space, you know, 70 to 80% of those sales are by women. And, you know, I didn't say anything at the time. I like, I just was like, okay, well, that that's shitty. That's too bad. And then I got on another call with another publishing house and the conversation almost went identically. And then I got on the conversation with the third one, which I really, you know, I respected some of the books that they've published and whatnot. And, and the, the woman said the exact same thing. And I, and I'm, and at that point I said, you know, maybe have you ever considered that you and your publishing houses and the industry itself is just publishing stuff that men just don't give a shit about that isn't actually speaking to them, that isn't written for them. It's Mm -hmm. written by women telling them how to be, or it's written by men telling them how to be, and that the content that's being put out actually just isn't landing with men. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of lit this fuel or or fueled this fire, you know, within me to create something um, that I hope that men will find value in and to make it practical and tactical, um, but also something that's going to cause men to deeply reflect. And so I've shared my personal journey in the book. I've shared clients' journeys in the books uh, that I've worked with because I've, again, I've worked with, you know, pro athletes and Navy SEALs and, you know, entrepreneurs and just like everybody on the sun. But the majority of my clients are men. And so that's, that's kind of the catalyst of how the book came about. And, you know, I think facing the rejection wasn't necessarily a problem. Uh, I think it just informed me of the landscape that men are often met with when it comes to therapeutic modalities. You know, Mm -hmm. when, when guys look out and they, you know, they, they 
are sent social media content by their by their partners, as an example, right? Their wives or their girlfriends. A lot of that content is is just saying to them, you should just be more vulnerable and it'll solve your problems. But it, so it misses nuance and I think complexity that men are looking for. And I think it approaches it in a way that doesn't necessarily land for men. So, you know, I think when I, <clears throat> when I wanted to write this book, of course there was adversity. Um, but, you know, I think we like challenges. I think most men like a good challenge. And so, you know, hearing no from people in the industry, you know, if they had said, we don't like your book or the concept, I, I would, you know, I probably would have taken that more personally and have to have gone back to the drawing board. But having the major publishing houses say, you know, this is something that we know is needed, but men just don't buy books. I was like, well, now I actually want to just prove you wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and it and was the top four right away as soon as pre-sale yeah. was out. Yeah, I mean, it's, so been, that- it's been number one the last, like, you know, the last three or four days in a row. Wow. Uh, and, and so I think that's, that's been pretty cool to see and to see the yeah. response from, from men and women. So, yeah. Incredible. Ah, it's so exciting. And I know one thing I've heard you speak on when it comes to men's work is how you're never going to know what the feminine is until you start to experience it in yourself. Can you explain what that looks like for a man? Yeah. So generally speaking, we as men are often very externalized. So we like to look Mm -hmm. out at the world and say, where can I contribute and what problems can I solve and what can I fix? What can I build? You know, how does that thing work? And mm-hmm. oftentimes relationally, that's how we're approaching the women that we're with. Why mm-hmm. does she think that way? Why is she doing that? You know, uh, how can I get her to not do that? You know, how do I get her to, to stop that or to not say that or to not feel that way? Or how do I fix her problems? Some version and iteration of that. And it oftentimes misses the mark. And what men will hear is from their partner, like, you just don't get me and you don't understand me and I can't feel you. And all of these sort of types of things that a lot of men have heard. And so for me in the book, you know, I really talked about how women reveal what you don't know about yourself. So rather Mm -hmm. than trying to figure her out, you know, rather than trying to figure out your wife or your girlfriend or the women that you work with, rather than trying to solve her problems or fix things for her, while sometimes that can be helpful, right? I'm not saying don't ever do that. Sometimes it can be helpful, especially if she said, hey, can I use your, I could use your help. Can you help me solve this or fix this? That can be very helpful. But rather than doing that all the time, start to see who do you become in the relationship? as a man. So start to Mm -hmm. see what's revealed about you as a man in the relationship. So when you're around your girlfriend or your wife or the women that you work with, or even the women in your family, what starts to come out, you know, does insecurity start to come out? Does fear start to show itself? Does arrogance and, uh, and, and being naive start to emerge. Like what parts of you actually start to show up within the context of that relationship? So you start mm-hmm. to turn the lens away from how do I fix her problems? How do I figure her out? Which is a trap. <laughs> and you turn towards the real journey and the real adventure, which is you 
as a man, which is your own awareness, your own self-understanding, your own ethics, your own morals, your own sense of integrity, your own emotions, your own feelings, your own sensations, your own, what you're experiencing in the body. And when you turn towards those things, you naturally create a safety for a woman because she's able to tune into the fact that you are connected to yourself. You're connected to the insecurities that are showing up. You're connected to the fears and the worries and the doubts that are present. You're connected to the joy and the sexual arousal that you're experiencing. So she's able to trust you more because you're more connected with the aspects of yourself that you would otherwise be largely unaware of. And the second thing that I think is really important is that, and this is a general statement, so it might not apply to every, every single person or every single man specifically, but generally speaking, most men will try and get from their women, from their partners, what they feel like they're lacking internally. So more specifically, if we just give you, if I just give you an example, a guy that starts to date a woman, and this is sort of like your classic example, right? Guy falls in love with a woman, starts to, or, or even they just start dating. He finds her wonderfully attractive. He really wants to be with her. You know, he's sort of, maybe he falls in love with her and suddenly he finds himself being very needy, right? Sort of clinging on and acting very insecure, constantly needing her to give him validation, give him attention, tell him that he's good enough in bed, tell him that he's strong enough and handsome enough and good looking enough and all of these things. Well, what's actually happening there? What's happening is that he's wanting something from her that he hasn't been able to develop or connect to within himself. His own sense of value, his own sense of worth, his own sense of strength or security. And generally what, what I've seen is that he hasn't built the infrastructure internally to validate himself and recognize his own strengths, his own worth. And so he'll start to outsource that unconsciously. And he'll say, I need you to tell me I'm good enough. You know, and he, maybe he won't say that directly, but he'll do it in his behaviors and his actions. Mm-hmm. So it's beneficial for us as men to tune into this feminine orientation that resides within all of us, right? So in the book, I talk about Carl Jung and how Carl Jung is a a very famous uh, Swiss psychoanalyst from the 20th century. And he had this concept of the anima and the animus, which was basically the masculine and the feminine, you know, different words for it. But his notion was that within every man, is the masculine and the feminine polarity and within every woman is the masculine and feminine polarity and within men our feminine is our unconscious it's our emotional body it's the parts of us that we don't want to see or don't know about or aren't connected to Mm -hmm. and so the most beneficial thing that we can do as men if we want to be and have a stronger relationship with women in our lives is start to develop the aspects of ourselves that we're trying to get from other women. I need you to give me compassion because I don't have it for myself. That's a big thing for a lot of guys. You know, the more that I've worked with men, the more that I, that I've seen how often abusive a man's internal dialogue is very harsh, very cutting, sometimes very shame oriented. 
And so you just have to think if you're a man who your inner dialogue is very hard and very harsh and very demeaning and condescending and you're beating the shit out of yourself constantly, you lack this more feminine compassion orientation. And you'll naturally try and seek that within your relationships, right? You'll need your girlfriend or your wife to give that to you because you haven't developed that within yourself. So one of the things that we can do is say, you know, like I said before, number one, who do I become around women? And number two, what am I trying to get women to give to me that I could probably develop somewhat within myself? It doesn't, you know, I'm not saying be in a relationship with a woman who will never be compassionate towards you. That, that wouldn't be healthy. <laughs> you know, that probably wouldn't be very good. Um, but certainly develop that part within yourself so that it's not something that you become needy about. It's something that she can offer freely, right? Something mm-hmm. that she can give freely and she can give that because she can see he's able to do that for himself. Mm-hmm. So yeah, maybe I'll just pause there because I know I just said a lot. Yeah, no, it's really beautiful and it, and it really applies to women as well. Um, and it, it makes me think about how you had a post about, you said that, I don't know if it was the most, the, the question that you get asked the most from men, but that you get asked, asked a lot, how will they know when they found the one? And, and you said, it'll be confronting, like you'll know, and it'll be confronting. And you, you talked about how the best relationships are the ones that give us what we want and what we need. So I'm curious the balance there with what you've just said and that, and, and also you, you talk about how the best relationships force us to see our fullness. And this can get so confusing for me, all of it, because I can often overstay in situations, whether friendships, jobs, relationships, because I think the challenge is just what I need for my growth. Like, you know, you're pushing my edges and, and you're, you know, this might be pushing me more towards my fullness. And however, in this last partnership, I had that perspective for a long time until it came down to that. It felt like I was uh, staying, that staying in the relationship would mean that I was losing myself and I was willing to lose the relationship instead of myself. And so I'm curious with all of that, um, where's like, how do we know when it's time to let go or let grow as you call it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of different questions in there. I think Yeah. <laughs> one of the things, you know, maybe I'll just speak to a couple of them. And if I've missed something, just, you know, uh, lay it back on me. Mm-hmm. I'll do my, do my best to tackle this, but relationships, again, relationships reveal who we are. So our strengths, our gifts, uh, you know, our, uh, the attributes and the, and the skills that we have that we want to contribute to others, mm-hmm. you know, the parts of us that we really love, but they also reveal the parts of us that we don't like. And they also reveal the parts of us that we don't want other people to know about. And the beautiful part. And so when I say that, maybe I'll just be a little bit more specific. Our relationships will reveal our insecurities our fears, Mm -hmm. our pains, um, you know, our past hurt that hasn't been resolved, the grief that we didn't experience because of a past relationship or the loss of a parent that's now showing up in our relationship or our marriage. So it will reveal all of those things. And again, I'll, I'll reference Carl Jung probably a few times on this interview, but he, he said that marriage 
and you can just replace marriage with relationships, but relationships are the fastest horse in the process of individuation and the race of individuation. And individuation is simply the, the journey of wholeness. It's the process mm -hmm. of becoming as whole as we can. And in any therapeutic, psychological, or even spiritual and religious modality, all of them say the same thing, that the path towards a deeper sense of wholeness is in the invitation to the parts of ourselves that we dislike. Mm -hmm. There has to be an invitation towards those parts of us and a welcoming, welcoming them in. So our relationship will naturally bring those things out, right? You can think about, uh, I'll give you a personal example, right? Like um, I was fairly conflict avoidant before I met my wife. I just didn't really like conflict. When conflict would happen in my relationship before, I would generally just shut it down. Like I would just shut down the conflict and I would, you know, so I'm not arguing about this. So I'm not getting into that. or I'm not talking about this. or I'd walk away. It was very short, very sort of cold and harsh sometimes. And that's because for me, growing up, conflict was abusive. It was emotionally, verbally, and physically abusive. Or it was completely absent. So my blueprint for conflict was that it was dangerous. It was threatening. And what that meant was that when conflict happened, you know, when I was at a bar, it led to a fight. When conflict happened in my relationship, I didn't know how to deal with it because obviously those rules are very different. And I didn't know how to actually settle or navigate or resolve the conflict. And so I just shut it down entirely. So in, in my relationship to my now wife, when we first started dating, she grew up in an environment that was completely different. It was very conflict heavy. And so after the kind of honeymoon phase, this conflict started to show up in our relationship where we'd get into disagreements about certain things. And the old part of me wanted to say, oh, this is a sign that this relationship isn't meant to work. You know, I should just walk away from this. I should like get away, you know? So that avoidant part of me came out and was like, you know, red flag, get out of here. You know, alarms going off, beep, 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 get away from this woman. But there was something else within me that was saying, you know, because I had learned enough to know that, um, that that would me that would be me operating from a weakness. That would be me be me operating from a place of not doing anything in my power to try and repair the conflict that was happen happening, or understanding why I was so avoidant of those types of conversations. And so I leaned in a little bit, got some support from the men in my life and started to have those conversations and engage in them and actually found that I could become quite proficient at having those conversations and moving us out of conflict. And actually yeah. by doing that helped my wife at the time she was my girlfriend, but it helped my wife heal this wound that she had as well from her childhood that had told her she needs to fight in order to get her needs met. She needs to mm -hmm. argue and create conflict in order to feel safe in a relationship. Mm -hmm. And so it was, it was by both of us eventually leading, leaning in into that conflict and doing it a different way that allowed us to move into a much healthier dynamic and a really beautiful and powerful relationship. So, mm -hmm. so relationships will reveal the parts of us, all parts of us, that we love, that we don't like, that we don't know how to deal with. Mm 
right? It'll bring up the insecure voice in your head. It'll bring up the judgmental voice that wants to accuse the other person of being responsible for every freaking problem in the relationship. But mm -hmm. it will also present an opportunity for us to heal those parts, for yeah. us to do them differently if we're willing to do that. Now, that doesn't mm -hmm. mean that every relationship is the right vehicle to do that. It doesn't mean that every partner is the right person to do that work with. You have mm -hmm. to be willing to use some discernment. And so what I usually tell men is, and this is like one of my top values, you know, I, I say, you know, if my wife, God forbid, um, passed, passed away or, or died tomorrow, and in, in a few years, I was back out in the dating world, which, <laughs> you know, <laughs> would be very, be very interesting. One of the main things that I would look for is a partner that I could do conflict with. Because mm -hmm. there's this very naive notion that a lot of people go into dating with that says, you know, because we've been sold this sort of Disney uh, infused version of what a relationship should look like. It should be all rainbows and sunshine and, and, you know, getting whisked away on freaking magic carpets and crap like that. And so, but there's never any real conflict between the people, but in real life conflict is there and the measure of a relationship, the longevity of a relationship is actually twofold. There's two really important indicators and, and a lot of this research has been done by a gentleman named uh, Dr. John Gottman, uh, who can literally listen to a couple interact for, I think it's 26 hours. And, and he can decide and discern and predict whether or not that couple will be divorced within the next three to four years with a 95% accuracy, right? Yeah. And so one of the main predictors is, do you share appreciation, acknowledgement, and validation with one another? frequently and around things that matter and are important. That is one of the, the grounds of a really healthy relationship. And the other aspect is, do you do conflict well as a couple? Can you actually move through conflict in a way where there is a repair to the emotional disconnection or physical disconnection? Can you move through a conflict in a way where there's some kind of resolution? So if you want to be in a great relationship, find somebody that you are willing to do conflict with. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy or perfect or, or even mm -hmm. be natural at first, but find somebody that you want to do conflict with in, in a healthy way and, mm -hmm. and resolve yourself to working towards that because, mm -hmm. well, I mean, your future self will certainly thank you for it. That other person might thank you for it. Um, but it will teach you a tremendous amount about who you are, what you want, what you'll tolerate, and what you won't tolerate. But if you're not willing to engage in the conflict, you'll never, you'll never learn those things. And who you are as a man, I'm speaking directly to men, who you are as a man within our culture and our society is oftentimes dictated by who you become in conflict. And relationally, wow. it is certainly dictated by who you become in conflict. Yeah. Right. And I think, I think a lot of women are like, oh yeah, that's, that's true to a large degree. You know, when you, when I talk to women about their relationships or I work with couples, which I do quite regularly with my wife, who's a licensed marriage and family therapist. What I often hear is the woman describing her perspective of her, her man based on who he is and his conflict. Is that's he volatile? True. 
right? Is he highly critical? Is he disrespectful? Does he shut down and run away? Does he become meek and somewhat spineless and just acquiesce to whatever she's saying and whatever she wants? And so men are very heavily judged on who they become during conflict. And the measure of a man and the capacity of a woman to respect a man is often very heavily steeped in who he is when conflict is happening. So mm-hmm. we can do ourselves a, a great service as men in becoming proficient in moving through conflict when it arises, not necessarily creating it. <laughs> That's not healthy <laughs> either. But when it happens, as it naturally will within a relationship, becoming proficient at moving that relationship through it and the conversation through it in a meaningful way that benefits mm-hmm. both parties. It's no secret that shame-free sex and pleasure are powerful avenues to deeper connections and an overall sense of well-being. And accessible, expertly designed toys can play a big part in getting you there and making you feel more alive. Dame is leading a sexual wellness revolution as a women-powered resource for game-changing pleasure products and supportive content. Started by a sex educator and an engineering whiz, Dame develops her products based on research and feedback from people like you. They're making better sexual experiences and more pleasure available to all. Dame's easy-to-use toys and accessories are made with body-safe, doctor-approved materials and smart design principles, and they've earned glowing praise from the New York Times, the Today Show, and many more, including me. Whether you're looking to shake things up with your partner or upgrade your self-care routine, they've got something for every nightstand. Even better, Dame offers three-year warranties and hassle-free returns within 60 days, so your satisfaction is literally guaranteed. And I will guarantee you satisfaction because I use their products myself. They're amazing. My favorite one is their suction toy. I call it the clit sucker, but it's uh, spelt A-E-R. It's called air. It's a powerful arousal tool for fans of oral stimulation. It creates thrilling pulses of air and a soft seal around your clitoris. So you can go all the way right away. Guys, I have like eight to 10 orgasms almost every time I use it. I use it during sex and in my own pleasure practice. You will not be disappointed. They're also sending me a bunch of their other products. So I'll keep you updated. But as of right now, this one's my favorite and I highly recommend it. Go to dameproducts.com and use code Jade today for 15% off your order with Dame. Now on with the show. My previous partner who was in your men's group for a long time, he was the first partner I had ever been with that was a conflict buster that like would come and, and, and be even, even loving in conflict. In three and a half years, he never raised his voice at me, never called me a name, was never mean in conflict, no matter how mad he would get. You know, there were times that, you know, we both fell into avoidant attachment styles, but there was never like hostility or, or aggression and, it, it helped me realize that because in the past it made sense for me to shut down because conflict was dangerous. And it helped me realize that I was, you know, and I talked with you about this on the last podcast. Um, I was kind of making him pay for the previous men's conflict where I would still shut down, even though he was a safe person. And so that was an area for me to really grow in. And I'm still 
growing. And now even as a, a single person, that's something that I'm still really diving into um, because I don't want to take that into my next partnership. But it, when you spoke about um, how when we dislike something in our partner, it's usually something found in ourselves. Um, with us, we were like so pro- proactive with conflict as well. You know, going to a therapist, we even booked a session with you, which was incredibly healing and, and, and really made the uncoupling a, a very loving process. But what we brought to you was something we didn't like about each other, which was our spirituality, which we realized through you was actually, we were being very religious and dogmatic. And so I want to use that as an example, maybe like how everything that irritates us, you say, is, um, can lead us to a better understanding of ourselves. And like, for me, I get really triggered by exclusivity. So if someone is making fun of someone for their political beliefs or their sexual orientation, or if someone's religious speech is dogmatic and condemning, especially like speaking about like being sent to hell and stuff like that, I get really vocal and wanting my, my core desire when I look back is always to inspire empathy and inclusivity, but that's hardly ever ends up being the result because I, you know, I, I'm, I don't know that maybe I get, I, I, I've been doing Byron Katie work around it, but maybe we can apply this as well as an example um, because this is something that's still, you know, that was in my relationship and I worked on that with you. And then now I'm seeing that it's also in my friendships. Like if someone's making fun of someone and it's like an exclusive mindset, then I, I'm like, that's harsh. You know, like I'll say something instead of, you know, bringing in more inclusivity, even with that person. Yeah. I mean, I almost want to just avoid the word inclusivity <laughs> just so we don't mm. get <laughs> wrapped in the the current culture wars that are happening and the yeah. you know gender wars that are happening because it's mm-hmm. it's so you know look we we are living in some of the most polarized times politically mm-hmm. and culturally and mm-hmm. the proclivity that's happening within our current culture is to find a side you know pick a side mm-hmm. what side are you mm-hmm. on and, mm-hmm. you know, if you believe this, you're on that side. If you say this, you're on that side. And, and so to be a moderate, to be a centrist during these times is wildly unacceptable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think it's, it's to bring this back to what the question of what you're really asking and what we were talking about is you have to be willing to decide how you want to live life. Are you going to live life through an external lens where you're constantly judging others and, Mm -hmm. you know, putting on different labels and hats and et cetera, or are you choosing to live life in a self-reflective introspective manner where you are going to go through the world and rather than saying, I expect them to change, which is Mm -hmm. immediately problematic. It's immediately Mm -hmm. problematic. I expect you Mm -hmm. to change, which is the, Mm -hmm. which is the notion, right. That we have uh, both on the left and the right, right now, Mm -hmm. right. Expect you to change it immediately. It's problematic because it puts the power into the other person's hands. It makes demands of them. It creates a superiority within us. But this is what we do on an individual level within our relationships, right? Something happens within a relationship or somebody does something or says something. And it's like, well, you, you should change. You know, it's like, I remember I'll bring it back to my, my now wife and I, 
I remember when it first started, our our conflict first started happening. And it wasn't like, you know, I'm not talking about big blowouts here or anything like that. But she would get sort of angry and a little bit more direct. And I could tell that she was that she was hurt, but I didn't like the way that she was presenting things. I didn't like mm-hmm. the way that uh, like there was a part of me that was not empathetic or compassionate about her delivery system. And so mm-hmm. immediately my internal dialogue was like, well, she shouldn't be doing that. You know, you mm-hmm. need to change, <laughs> you know? And so there was a part of me that was like, well, I'm not engaging with you until you do it differently. Now, sometimes, you know, there was merit in saying, you know, don't, don't speak to me like that, you know, or don't mm-hmm. say those things. There's merit in setting boundaries, which I did. But for the most part, rather than trying to operate in a way that says, I'm going to get you to change in order to, for me to feel better, right? Which is like, mm-hmm. you know, cancel culture and et cetera. Mm-hmm. We operate from a place of you do your thing and I'm going to see what it's evoking within me. It's like, oh, I feel rage towards the way that you just said that. Or I feel anger towards the fact that you won't engage with me. Or I feel embarrassed by the by the way that you're speaking to me in front of other people. Like whatever it is, we mm-hmm. we first tune into what our experience is and create some discernment as to whether or not there needs to be a boundary put in place, right? Because we can set boundaries with other people, but that doesn't mean that we need to completely alter who they are or what their behavior is in order for us to feel okay. Mm-hmm. You know, because we live in this time where it's not okay for you to disagree. You know, to disagree is to be on different ends of the political spectrum, to be different people, right? I mean, it's something like 90% of Americans won't marry or date somebody that has an opposing political ideology. So that is problematic, but that filters into our relationships in a, in a micro level, right? So we have to be willing to, maybe I'll just summarize this by saying, it's easy to love the parts of your partner that you like. And it's very difficult to love the parts of your partner that you dislike. That, evoke frustration within you and anger and disappointment and all of those types of things. And so part of our work is to learn how do I love those parts of you? Can I live with those parts of you without expecting you to be perfect, without expecting you to operate from this perfect place all the time? You know, again, our modern culture expects our relationship partner to be freaking everything. You know, it's like, I want you to be my lover and my, you know, my study partner. And I want you to be my therapist and my coach and my fucking trainer and like my best friend and all, you know, it's just like everything. I want you to be everything for me. And it's like, well, that's just not real. I, I remember I was on a, a podcast uh, last year called girls got to eat. And they have a huge, huge, huge show. And they said, mm-hmm. what do you think? I, I got a little bit of flack for it uh, after the interview, but I said, she, they said, what do you think women are getting wrong in modern dating? Which really caught me off guard because m- most people don't ask that question. Yeah. And I said, I think that a lot of women's expectations are just so wildly unrealistic that yeah. it kills their capacity to have a healthy dating life because mm. women are wanting their man to be 
everything, to be mm-hmm. everything. And it's not realistic. I don't want to be everything for my wife. That doesn't mm-hmm. interest me because mm-hmm. I want her to have a healthy social life and I want her to get some of her needs met outside of our marriage, you know, from her friends, from her family, from culture, from society and her social life. So mm-hmm. I think that we do ourselves a disservice creating these unreal ex- real, unrealistic expectations and saying, unless you are who I want you to be, I won't love you. That's not love. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. not relationship, right? Unless you act in the way that I want, I won't talk to you. I won't mm-hmm. go through conflict with you. I won't go through hardship. I won't give you compassion. I won't give you empathy. I won't give you physical attention or validation or love. I'll withhold all these things. I'll withhold sex. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and most of us do it to some capacity, you know, mm-hmm. maybe not to the degree where it's clinical narcissism, but most mm-hmm. of us will do it capacity so our work is to to learn to let go of trying to change the other person so that we can Mm -hmm. really see who the fuck they are and then we can decide right and we can see who we are when we are with them Mm -hmm. and can do we like who we are when we're with them do we love who we are are we moving closer towards who we want to be you know me having to step into being more proficient in navigating through conflict has made me a much better man in yeah. so many ways, in so many areas mm-hmm. of my life. And so, and, but that's not, that's not uh, because of my wife, it's just a byproduct of our relationship. And so really great relationships will do that. They will be confronting on some mm-hmm. level because they will bring you into contact with the parts of yourself. that are like, I don't know if I like that part. I don't know if I want this person to see this part of me or this aspect of me. I don't know how to deal with this part, you know, whether it's your sexual arousal or your anger and rage or your anxiousness or your worry, you know, it is yeah. a really great relationship is going to bring you into the, into contact with that part of you and invite you to learn how to carry it more effectively. So mm-hmm. I'll just, I'll pause there because I said a lot, a lot. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, it's so weird to me that you got pushback on that about um, what women are doing wrong in modern dating, because I wouldn't want a man to be my everything. That sounds actually really limiting. Like I'm collapsing him instead of the expansion of how much I receive in all areas of my life. Um, however, I do have like my, my little, what I'm available for <laughs> list mm-hmm. is very long and detailed, but it's mostly around it's mostly detailed around a man who does his work and, and, and how, how he shows up for me in intimacy and, um, you know, emotional intimacy, um, intellectual intimacy, all of that. But I've, it's, it is pretty detailed. So it made me think of that when you said that. Can you you say why that's important? Why it's important for you to have a man who's quote unquote doing the work and what that means to you? For me, if I know, if I know that a man is doing his work, that is, I can't imagine a relationship more safe because like I'm getting teary eyed just thinking about it because if I know that he's doing his work, not only can I surrender more knowing that like he's got us, you know, like anything that is going to come up, he's going to go within 
And, and so am I, I'm not putting it all on him. I'll do it too. And then for me, it's like, what can we not conquer? You know, if, if we're like both going within and, and it's always, for me, I feel like it'll always lead us back to the love because we'll always be able to look at what's my work here. You know, what, what can I do to, um, to meet you here? And Mm -hmm. Also, for me, a man who does his work feels like, I mean, it's the most attractive trait I find in someone is integrity and a man who does his work and goes inward instead of projects outward. And like, it's, you know, them bad, me good all the time. Like to me, it just feels like I, I I can trust him. You know, I can, Mm -hmm. I can trust that. And, um, you know, there's so many situations where I can find that I was wounded in relationship because, um, they weren't able to trust me, um, whether it was my sexual expression or my spiritual expression or uh, my anxious attachment, whatever it was, or just my feminine wisdom, whatever it was that wasn't trusted. I feel that, and this is, um, you know, something I could have worked on as well. I feel that if there was, there was this level of what is my work here? Like, where's my growth here? Um like you're saying what you dislike in another, it reveals something about ourselves. If, if, if there was that inward looking of like, what does this reveal about me while I'm doing it too? Like what, what more safety Mm. could you have in a relationship? You know, same with infidelity, like going inwards and like, what is my work here when I'm feeling this desire for another woman? It's, it's the ultimate safety in all areas. Does that, does that make sense? No, hundred percent. I mean, I think it's, I think it's important, um, to just have that said, you know, because I think that for the majority of women that they do value a sense of safety and security, however that looks right. And some women, they have different definitions of what that's going to look like externally, but it's pretty common that women are going to want a deep sense of safety and security, and for a lot of women, the sign that a man is going to be somewhat more safe is his capacity for self-reflection and introspection, his willingness mm-hmm. to go and say, okay, we got into this conflict. What's my part in it? Mm-hmm. You know, how did I, how did I show up in this and not mm-hmm. worry so much about, well, I don't like what you did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's this there's there's this notion that to be strong and masculine is to never be wrong you know i see this in in some of the online content for men you know mm-hmm. from these guys that talk a lot about being alpha and they will never ever admit when they're wrong and i find it wildly fascinating you know mm-hmm. and we can pathologize it to the nth degree but I think that that's how some of some of us, and I know I've shown up that way in the past where I didn't want to admit that I was wrong. You know, yeah. one of the hardest five letter words that I've, that I've had to learn how to say is sorry. <laughs> you know, just, I have traditionally hated saying that, you know, I just disliked it. Um, because in many ways, and, and again, we don't need to talk about where this has come from, but I think in many ways, it's common for us as men 
to tie our sense of masculinity to our ability to be right and our ability to be to win and be victorious. And in a relationship, the outcome is not you winning. Mm-hmm. So it's very, it's very different than what we're used to. You know, we go out into the world and we build a business or we have a career and what makes us successful, quote unquote, in some ways is our ability to be victorious, to win, to conquer, to build, to create. But in a relationship, it's not about being victorious. It's not about how many arguments can I win over you? That's not going to be a functional relationship. It's how do I prioritize connection? How do I send the signal that I respect myself enough to see my part in a breakdown or a dysfunction? Because when I do that, I can, as a man, claim and own where I've been wrong or where I have not operated in a way that I want to not in a way that you want me to, right? I'm not, I'm not going to apologize simply because you've told me to or admit mm-hmm. wrongdoing simply because my partner has said you did this wrong. But if I can go away and see, actually I can claim that I was reactive or volatile or that I was in the wrong in some way, it shows the other person that we have the awareness of being able to see our part in it and we have the courage of admission and ownership. And that is strength, right? That is strength because mm-hmm. one is a complete blind spot and weakness. If I'm not willing to see where I'm in the wrong relationally or where I've added to a conflict or where, where I've contributed to a breakdown or a disconnection in the relationship, if I'm not willing to see that I'm driving blind. You know, I'm yeah. literally driving blind in the relationship. Whereas if I'm, if I'm willing to see where it's like, I have a, uh, a vehicle that has cameras on it essentially. Right. So you can kind of, you can see different parts of the, of the car and, and it records through those cameras. And so you have a 360 degree view of what's happening. So if, if I'm driving and I get sideswiped or rear ended, the car will pick up and have recorded what happened. Mm-hmm. But if I'm driving without any of that and somebody, you know, hits me and then drives off again, it's your base. That's basically like driving blind. So we, but we do this in a relationship, you know, where we mm-hmm. sort of try and drive blind sometimes as men and not want to admit that we're, that we're wrong because we've been told and, and sort of sold this notion that there's strength in suppression, that there's strength mm-hmm. in ignoring what we're feeling, what we're experiencing, what we're wanting, or, or suppressing that we know that we're wrong. And Mm -hmm. that creates the ultimate weakness because it just creates blind spots within us, within Mm -hmm. our relationships. And those blind spots will come back to harm us at some point. Yeah. And I think for women, it feels like when we struggle to say sorry, it's because we feel like we've worked so hard to stand in our power. And if we say, sorry, we're giving our power away again, you know, and that's been a struggle of mine at least, but it also, um, 
you know, going back to the, the safety of when a partner is doing the work, it, for me, I always desire for my relationship to be a vehicle of growth and knowing that we're both doing the work. It like gives me this excitement that we're always going to be growing together instead of one is growing and one is not, or there's stagnancy there. Um, and it, you know, it made me think about too, cause you talked about, um, men and the struggle to say sorry and how you've been seeing this, this alpha thing online, you know, there, I really like how a lot of relationship coaches are now speaking to some of the dangers of the polarity movement and the polarity teachings. And, um, something else though, that I have seen in the conscious community, at least here in Austin, um, is there's this like pointing out of the feminist movement as like toxic femininity and that there's this like conspiracy that it's been to like dismantle the home because if a woman is like in her power and like in this, you know, uh, she's going after her dreams and she won't be having children. There's like all these different thoughts around it, but you've talked about how pointing out behavior and attributing it to masculinity or femininity can be damaging. And I'm, I'm, hoping it feels like the pendulum is like swinging from toxic, you know, the, like pointing out this is toxic on the feminine side and then to the masculine. And I'm hoping that it really comes into balance in that realm and in the polarity realm, because I feel that being anti anything is never going to, going to heal anything. Mm -hmm. So, um, it, it made me think of that as well. And then it also made me think about how you, you said something about if you were to be in the dating world, like you mentioned, um, you would ask on a second date. I'm curious why the second date, what do you think about men? <laughs> and I know for me, my answer would be um, from the bottom of my heart. I feel this way about men and women, but I just, I love men so much. I want to worship whatever man is in front of me. And I'm, but I'm curious. Um, yeah. Why you would ask that. And then why the second date specifically? <laughs> is it too uh, big of a first date question? <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I think like, geez, give, give things like some room to breathe, you know, have, have fun <laughs> on the first date. And like, mm. uh, maybe that's just my style. And then, just, down to business. <laughs> and then, and then really just go, go ham, you know, like go straight <laughs> digging. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, it was, it was interesting to see people's responses to that. You know, there was a lot of women that were upset by this notion. Um, and for me, I would, I would ask that question, what do you think about men and masculinity? Because I am a man. I enjoy being a man. Uh, I like being masculine, you know, a lot of the times, not, not always. It's not like, you know, I'm not, I don't feel like I have to fit into some rigid dogmatic role. Like my masculinity is, is pr dependent on certain things. You know, masculinity and femininity are amoral terms. They're, they're not good or bad. They just are. And there are things that have been in every culture and in most spiritual contexts and religions and et cetera. But I would ask that question because there are generally a good amount of women that don't like men. And <clears throat> it's just the truth. You know, there are a lot of women who see men as the problem to most of, of what's happening within our civilization. And there are many women who, um, in the effort to claim their own, we'll just call it feminine empowerment, think that in order to do that, men need to be brought down. 
in some mm-hmm. capacity. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's never a workable solution because you are just creating a villain and an enemy in your life that you are then battling against. And I'm not interested in being in a relationship with a woman that doesn't like men. Like that's absurd. That would be ridiculous. Uh, Or to be in a relationship with a woman. Always going to be a victim. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's, that's true. Um, Or to be in a relationship with a woman who doesn't see the value in men or the value in masculinity. You know, there's like, if you're trying to empower women and the feminine to say, you know, things that are feminine and, and behaviors that are feminine and, and women in general have so much value and we need to respect that value. But then you're simultaneously saying men aren't valuable and men aren't needed. That Mm -hmm. is, that's incongruent. It doesn't make any sense, you know, to Mm -hmm. operate in that capacity. And, And what you do is, unfortunately, you make an enemy of a lot of men. And yeah. you can see that in our modern culture right now is that mm-hmm. there, there, you know, there is this sort of gender war that's happening. And so I would ask that question because it would just, it would be, it's a very easy filter for me. You know, it's like, yeah. do you like men? You know, <laughs> what do you think about masculinity? It's like, ah, oh, I love men. Men are great. You know, I, like I don't understand them sometimes and they, you know, <laughs> maybe they act this way or that, but, but I, you know, I appreciate them. Great. Cool. We can continue this conversation. But yeah. if you, t- if you tell me on the second date, oh, I don't need a man, then I inherently know that I don't have to continue on in that conversation because yeah. why would I date a woman who is just, who is just to my face told me, I don't need mm-hmm. you, AKA mm-hmm. I don't want you in my life. Now I get what she's saying in the sense that I don't need you in order to make my own money and be successful and be happy and yada, yada, yada. I understand that, but mm-hmm. We all need one another, you know, and to need someone to be around, to love, Mm -hmm. to be physical with, to be intimate with is Mm -hmm. not a bad thing. It's a human thing. It's an Mm -hmm. animal thing. Imagine a a male lion telling a female lion, I don't need you. Or a female (laughs) lion telling a male lion, I don't need, like, it was just, it's just absurd. And so... I think in some ways, you know, I would ask that question because it would help me understand very quickly whether mm-hmm. that woman respects men or whether it's because that, that energetic, that thought carries energy. I don't need a man in my life. I can't tell you mm-hmm. how many events that I've run or spoken at where a woman will be asking me a question about how to get along better with men or how to attract a man that she really wants, but she's holding the deep belief of, I don't need a man. Well, of course mm-hmm. you can't keep a man in your life. You're telling mm-hmm. all of them that you don't need them or want them around. And mm-hmm. men want to be needed. They want to yeah. contribute, right? There's something within our masculine core that says, I want to have value and I want to contribute to you in some capacity, right? Whether that's doing arbitrary things around the house and and fixing things or to contribute to you financially or to contribute to you emotionally or to contribute to you spiritually, I want to have a place in your life. And that's meaningful to me as a man. And most men feel that way, you know? And so it's, I think it's very damaging that we are telling women 
that it's okay for them to go out and, and perpetrate this notion that they don't need any men in their life. And then later on in life, they're, you know, they're unhappy and they're angry. They get angrier at men, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it's just, it, it just continues to villainize men, which never resolves really anything. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think it's a, a great question and I legitimately, yeah. would, you know, would, would ask it. And, and I think I asked my, my now wife some version of that. You know, like, what do you think about men? Or what do you think about the work that I do? And she's mm-hmm. a licensed marriage and family therapist, you know, which is a very female dominated industry. And she's like, I love what you do. You know, mm-hmm. I, I love it. And, and she's like, I deeply respect men. And I think it's great what you're doing. And so, you know, I think those types of things and, and as strong, and my wife, by the way, is the most independent. <laughs> like she, she's, a wild, I call, I call her my wild ass woman, you know, like she is just fiercely independent, but I know Mm -hmm. she still needs me and she communicates that, you know, she still wants my love. She still needs closeness and connection. She still, you know, wants to be held by me and, and supported by me and all of those types of things. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I think that in women's efforts to be empowered, they've, dawned what we have traditionally uh almost in a way they've they've taken on some of the masculinity that they seem to be against which is really interesting you know Mm -hmm. so anyway i'll i'll pause there because i think i've said plenty on that yeah i think i think the rise of the feminine has to involve the masculine like we do this together we can't leave one behind because then it just it creates the need for the rise of the masculine. And then we're just going to keep doing this yo-yo thing, you know, or seesaw, whatever. And so, yeah, it, it has to be done together. And, and for me, you know, the thought of sacred union sounds so healing. And, and while there's definitely some healing that, that can take place on our own, it's like everything that you've talked about, the deepest healing can happen in relationship. Cause it's where we discover so much about ourselves. Um, but I'm curious, you know, because we talked about um, subscribing like um, a toxic trait to just a feminine or a masculine. W- would you call that toxic femininity or just a wounded femininity or what is that? Yeah. So generally speaking, I think when it comes to masculine and feminine, I think the like personally, I think using the term toxic masculine is ridiculous and yeah. does more damage than anything else. I don't think necessarily think so. that, that it's, it's even useful. Um, mm-hmm. and, and same with, you know, toxic femininity. I think anytime, I think we, you know, language matters and we know that it matters, but when it comes to these topics, um, you know, we just, we kind of throw that, that, that wisdom out the door. Um, mm-hmm. and so, you, you know, I think that are there, again, masculine and feminine are amoral things. They're not good or bad, mm-hmm. you know, how, how there, you know, there's, there's no toxic masculinity. There are men who act toxically sometimes, mm-hmm. and there are men who are deeply wounded, who are in a tremendous amount of pain, who then pass on that pain, you know, mm-hmm. men who were beaten or abandoned or neglected or abused who then pass that on, 
And, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so, and just like there are women who have been manipulated and hurt um, by other men, by other women who have been abused, et cetera, who then pass that on. And so, you know, I think shame can be sometimes toxic, but I don't think that masculinity or femininity can inherently be toxic. And I think yeah. that the conversation around that literally leads nowhere because right. it just creates people trying to defend um, or, or prove a point. And, yeah. and that just, that, that's just cyclical. It just goes around. And so, I mean, like if, let, let me ask you this just as a real question and, and maybe pose it to the audience. What good has labeling masculinity as toxic done? Has it served any purpose to change men's behaviors or to help us understand men better or to shift the culture in a healthy way? My guess is that it hasn't. Like my guess is that using that term has, has, has actually created more division and derision than anything else. And I think we can see that within the culture right now. And so, yeah. Yeah. That's my, yeah. that's my rant. Yeah, I completely <laughs> thanks, thanks for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I completely agree. And I, I'm interested um, in future dates, the answers, if, if I were to ask, how do you feel about women? Because I do feel like um, yes. a lot of women can feel, um, it, there's this notion that like women's emotions can't be trusted, that women are a little bit more flighty, you know, all these things. So, um, you know, that they lack logic, all these things. So mm-hmm. I'm... Um, yeah, curious to hear answers of that in the future. So I have one more qu- uh, question before ending the lightning round. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I've heard you say that addiction is an attachment wound. And I was just reading um, The Erotic and the Holy by Mark Gaffney. And he talks about how Eros, the face of Eros is to be inside, whether inside a conversation, inside a relationship. And so addiction comes from a lack of arrows it's from someone who feels on the outside and and so it's a pseudo arrows basically and um i feel like it goes really well with your your um thoughts around it being an attachment wound but i i was hoping you could explain to close off the show yeah i mean essentially excuse me when we're kids you know between the ages of zero and three and then three to seven is where we learn the sort of foundational blueprint of how to connect with other human beings, what's mm-hmm. safe, what's not, what to expect, etc. And if we can't attach or connect to a caregiver, caregiver in a very meaningful way, or we have a very deep wound with one of our caregivers who should be our quote unquote primary attachment, then what will end up happening is that rather than attaching to that person, rather than creating a relationship and an attachment with mom or with dad, right? Maybe mom's there, but, you know, she's sort of disconnected and and dad's abusive or, you know, dad has abandoned the the family, which is very common, right? There's a big rise, like one in three or one in four American kids will grow up without a father figure in the house, right? So it's quite prominent. Um, that inability to attach to that parent leaves a void. And what will happen later on in life is that connection or attachment in relationships will become dangerous. It will feel dangerous at a very unconscious primal level. And what people will do is they will attach to an object. 
they will attach to a sub uh, a substance they will attach mm-hmm. to a behavior so they'll attach to alcohol or porn or weed or <clears throat> cocaine or gambling or uh <clears throat> paying for prostitution right so they'll they'll attach to a behavior and they will sacrifice everything else right gabor mate says addiction is giving up everything for one thing yeah. right and sobriety is giving up that one thing for everything so mm-hmm. addiction is when we don't feel like it's safe to attach to another human being and we feel a deep loneliness and isolation and what ends up happening is that we then stop trying to attach and connect in a meaningful healthy way with other human beings and we divert our attention and energy towards attaching to a substance or behavior etc so that that's what i meant by that and and part of yeah. getting out of that cycle is being able to see where where we learned that behavior like where was it unsafe for you to attach to a primary mm-hmm. caregiver and then mm-hmm. can you learn and repair because it's just a skill right you can it's you know you can learn how to attach to other people can you learn how to attach to people in a meaningful way where you feel safe where it feels like there's there's trust and can you begin to do that with the people that are in your life and let go of the quote unquote primary attachment that is your addiction mm-hmm. so <clears throat> yeah yeah wonderful thank you Okay, so there's a few short questions we like to ask everyone who comes on the show. The first one is, if you could hug your younger self right now, what would you say? If I could hug my younger self, what would I say? Love your wildness. Love your wildness, little man. Mm, That's beautiful. If you could have the whole world read one book, which would it be? (laughs) Uh, just one. <laughs> uh, I would probably go with, yeah, I would probably go with Awareness by Anthony DeMello. You said that last time along with The Wisdom of Insecurities. Mm-hmm. Stick with them. They, I still read them every year. <laughs> if you could whisper one phrase to everyone on the planet, what would it be? Venture into the unknown. Mm. And lastly, how can people connect with you and find your work? Your Instagram is so, I'm constantly sharing your posts as well as your wife's. So your Instagram, and then the day that this podcast episode airs is the day of your release. So where can they find your book as well? (laughs) Yeah. uh, Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, The book is at mantox.com forward slash book. Or you can just go on my website, mantalks.com, and it says right at the very top says my book. Uh, mm-hmm. And you can order the the book, Men's Work, which is um, which is available now. Uh, and it's everywhere. Uh, it's on Amazon. It's in bookstores, et cetera. So you can go buy it. Um, it's on Audible. You can listen to the audio book. Um, and then, yeah, find me on Instagram at mantalks. Yay. Is the audio book in your voice? It is. Yeah. I, I read the, I read the audiobook, and I just want to say that, that even though the book is for men, the women that have read it have really loved it. Uh, I oh, think yeah. it's given a lot of context to what men's work is and yeah. it's like a behind the scenes look at, 
at men. And so I just say, if there's women that are out there that are, that are interested, don't just buy this for a, a man in your life. Like definitely yeah. dig into it yourself. Yeah, I definitely plan on reading it. I feel like I learned so much by reading uh, the way of the superior man as well. Like I've read a couple of men's books where I, I, it helped me know uh, how to support a man in his process as mm. well. Um, do you still have the Alliance, the men's group online? You bet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. You can check out the Alliance. Yeah. We've got, um, I think we've got like five or 600 guys in there now from all over wow. the world. And yeah, it's just That's a really incredible. great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. It's a, it's a really cool place to just go and, and, meet other men and do some work and dive in on some of the topics that we've talked about, you know, work on yourself and your relationship, uh, your finances and whatnot. So yeah, definitely check out the Alliance. Yeah, that's incredible. Five to 600 men. I just want to thank you for the, for saying yes to the call in your life because you're not just changing those five to 600 men's lives. You're changing the lives of their wives and their children and their children. And it's just, man, it's, it's so touching that, that you said yes. And, and, and all these people's lives are being changed. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know if I had a choice, but I was getting pulled in that direction, but yeah. thanks. Thank you so much for having me on. And, and I appreciate yeah. getting to spend this time with you. All right, you guys, he's just so incredible. Him and his wife, both. Oh, I interviewed her probably four years ago for the first time and him, you know, almost two years ago. And now I'm interviewing them both this month for the release of their books. And I just, I feel so honored to know them and, and, and to receive tools from them through their Instagram. It's like everything that they put out is so useful. And I just, I aspire to be, um, at their level of self-awareness where um, you can just tell that everything that they speak is from lived experience. It's not, you know, it's not something that they've just researched and, and studied. It's something that they are actually doing and you can feel that from them. And then their, their level of presence is, is, I mean, I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of guests and, and everyone has been amazing, but their level of presence is unforgettable. And I just am so stoked to know them. And I'm so, man, I, I was just cheerleading their book releases on. I, I, I can't imagine um, how much incredible insight is in both of those books. And I'm, I'm so excited to listen to both of them, especially because it's in their voices. I love, I love both of them. I love listening to their, their his, he has an incredible podcast as well. Um, i trying to think of the name. Uh, man talks is his it's his podcast and i highly recommend it and his men's group alliance um it's online i uh, i don't know if they meet weekly or bi-weekly but i can tell you that when my previous partner was in that men's group it was there it was noticed i i mean it was incredible the time that he was in that men's group and and i highly recommend it to all men listening or to all of the partners of the women listening. And the, the nice thing is, is a lot of times a men's group can be intimidating for someone, but the fact that this is on a zoom call where you can like have your camera off and, and participate at the level that you're ready to participate in. Like for me, that's a huge icebreaker too. And it was exactly what my previous partner needed because he wasn't comfortable with men's work at the time. And that was what really opened him up to it. And now, you know, we're no longer together, but now he's in like three men's groups that meet in person. So, um, 
you know, it really started his journey there. But I can say that while he was in that men's group, it was the most notable shift, noticeable shift out of all of the work that he's done. Um, you know, cause he was able to just sit at this man's feet and learn from him. And he's just, he's such an incredible men's leader. So highly recommend it. All right. I'll thank my affiliates. The first affiliate is my course, Untamed and Unashamed. You can find it at jade-brice.com. And uh, you can also f- sign up to work with me one-on-one there if you'd like. And then Richard Rudd's course, genekeys.com. Uh, that, that link is also in the show notes. It is, uh, will lead you to the dream arc, which is the course around how to use your dreams for self-development. And you can also find out your gene key on there, which is really cool. It's like an, uh, you know, like an inner GPS. And I learned so much about myself through the gene keys, what my strengths are and, and just how to, how to, how to really use my shadows for, for growth as well. I mean, they talk about your triggers and love, all of it. So genekeys.com and using the the specific link in my show notes does give me a small cut from anything that you purchase on there. I just got a check from them and it really, really made my day as I'm venturing into being a single mama again. So it would be greatly appreciated. And then all the best toys for sex at dameproducts.com code Jade gets you 15% off. The Air AER is my favorite one. It's the suction toy. I like to pair it with my pleasure wand or my yoni egg that you can get at wands, W-A-A-N-D-S.com. I love my cervical wand and my yoni egg. And I do teach women how to use those. They are incredibly powerful tools for de-armoring and giving more sensitivity to those parts of yourself. And then all all things infrared at higher dose code Jade75 for $75 off. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and being on this journey with me. It would mean a lot if you could leave a review, y'all. Every time I get a review, it makes my day. It just, it means so much. So if you could take a little bit of, just take you less than a minute, I'm sure, to leave a review. You can also join me on Instagram at Untamed and Unashamed Podcast. As always, be a light, stay open, and remember, you belong here. Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.